Okay. Well, welcome everyone to School for a Course, the Miracles Miracle Hour. And I'm Tony Neal, and I'm, I'm really grateful to be able to share this message, which has been speaking to my heart lately about what it doesn't mean to be a teacher of God, a teacher of innocence, which is what Jesus is calling us to be in his course. And what this School for Course in Miracles is dedicated to through the teaching of undoing all that we have taught ourselves and to be willing to be taught by a different teacher, the Holy Spirit that we all share in which Jesus was a manifestation of and which we are all destined to be as well. As Lynn so often points out, we are all equal here as learners. And as we will see, we are all equal as teachers by the course's definition of what a teacher is. But we've all committed to this path or we wouldn't be here. And as Jesus points out, this isn't the only one. There are thousands of paths which all have their, the single aim of teaching that the Son of God is innocent. Nothing has happened to, to destroy that. It, nothing can happen to take away our innocence. So typically, you know, we think of a teacher as being one who has some expertise, some knowledge on a particular subject that then they want to impart to their students. So giving and receiving are not equal in that respect. The teacher obviously knows more, but that is not the definition of, a te of teaching that the course is talking about, but it doesn't exclude that as a form in which teaching occurs. But teaching occurs on a different level. And as we'll see, it goes on all the time, whether we're aware of it or not. And what we teach is teaching us. We are always teaching ourselves. Giving and receiving are the same. That's one of the key principles in the course, how giving and receiving are actually the same. So first we choose which teacher it is that we are following. We're either following the ego or we're following the Holy Spirit. That's the only choice that there really is. And then as the course teaches, we send forth messengers to bring back witnesses to show what we have sent out, to show what we really believe. So you might say that one purpose of the course is to bring that to our awareness so we can teach what the Holy Spirit would have us teach and not blindly follow the ego as our default teacher. And it also says that the ego always speaks first. So we are learning a different way of choosing. And we have to remember that he's not talking to us here as individual bodies. He's talking, addressing our mind to the decision maker in our mind that believes it's here in this body, in this world. The mind's the, the level of cause and the source from where all of our uh, teaching and learning occurred. So the emphasis on today's message is what it would be like to be actually living this message, to be demonstrating what it means to be a teacher of God, how we would respond in our relationships, how we would see things differently, more than the actual process of getting there, which is usually what we talk about and which we can't overlook, um, looking at how much we really don't want to do just that, how much we need to project their guilt and the reason for that. And all of that is necessary before we can truly be the message. 
But Jesus does give us some instructions on how we teach this message of innocence that I want to share from the text and from examples from his own life. So I'd like to begin with um, a centering thought for us to get still for a moment. And it comes from the end of lesson 154 on page 290 of the workbook. The lesson is, I am among the ministers of God. And I will, uh, there are two sentences and I will say them and then repeat them and we'll go into the silence for a minute. I am among the ministers of God and I am grateful that I have the means by which to recognize that I am free. I am among the ministers of God and I am grateful that I have the means by which to recognize that I am free. So let's just take that thought into the silence for a moment. and gently come back. When we realize what this course is teaching us, we cannot help but be grateful for this teaching, this particular means that he has given us of helping us to see what's really going on in our minds. How else would we know? And the reason that we have chosen that so that we can choose another way, <clears throat> excuse me, is teaching us, <clears throat> excuse me, is teaching us that we are not victims, that, that we have taught ourselves that we were. We are innocent and so is everyone else, but we, and we have to include everyone else in that and look at our resistance to doing that and the purpose that that resistance serves. But as this lesson says, we are already free. Help me to recognize that I am free. It's not something that we're going to acquire, that we're going to become enlightened and be free. That is our true nature, but we are just unaware of that. So our only need is to recognize that, to awaken to that. And of course, we can't do that alone. We need the Holy Spirit as our guide to, and to turn to him to show us the way. So I want to start with uh, the Manual for Teachers, getting back to... Um, the introduction. And I always encourage people to read these introductory passages, whether it's in the workbook or the wherever it appear, they appear, because they have some basic principles and we can tend to just overlook them and think, well, I know all that. <laughs> I've read them so many times. But every time we read it, it's like a new experience and we get something uh, deeper because they do, he does include a lot of the key principles in the course about giving and receiving and form versus content, shared interests versus separate interests. So I want to start with the introduction. And uh, he's telling us what it means to teach by the course's definition. The role of teaching and learning is actually reversed in the thinking of the world. The reversal is characteristic. It seems as if the teacher and the learner are separated. The teacher giving something to the learner rather than to himself. Further, the act of teaching is regarded as a special activity in which one engages 
only a relatively small proportion of one's time. The Course, on the other hand, emphasizes that to teach is to learn, so that teacher and learner are the same. It also emphasizes that teaching is a constant process. It goes on every moment of the day and continues in the sleeping thoughts as well. And then I'm just going to continue. And to teach is to demonstrate. There are only two thought systems and you demonstrate that you believe one or the other is true all the time. From your demonstration, others learn, and so do you. The question is not whether you will teach, for in that there is no choice. The purpose of the course might be said to provide you with the means of choosing what you want to teach on the basis of what you want to learn. You cannot give to someone else, but only to yourself. And this you learn through teaching. Teaching is but a call to witnesses, to attest to what you believe. It is a method of conversion. This is not done by words alone. Any situation must be to you a chance to teach others what you are and what they are to you. No more than that, but also nevertheless. So in those two paragraphs, he's given us a lot to, you know, to think about. Excuse me, the, the form versus the content. The form is what we appear to be teaching on the surface. So, you know, what, whether that's in a typical uh, classroom situation or not, on the surface, we seem to be sharing on one level, but it's underneath that we are really teaching, uh, we are demonstrating what we believe to be true. So the world, again, is the outpicturing of our state of mind. That is how we know what we believe, by what we are seeing projected on the screen. As we have just had a lesson from Jim, projection makes perception. So it's our unconscious beliefs about the world and each other that are the movie that the projector in our minds is displaying. And then we respond to what we see, believing it is real, though we put it there and gave it the only reality that it has. So that's what we're teaching. And through our reactions and our responses to other people, that is what we are really demonstrating that we believe to be true. We forget that we made it all up and we feel victimized and upset by something seemingly outside of ourselves. And as long as we are unconscious of this, we are not aware that there is another way of seeing. So it's not necessarily what you see that will change, but how you see it. So when we do feel victimized, angry, but, um, we're, we feel that we've been persecuted or attacked in some way, we obviously are believing the separate interests in one or the other. But when we ask for help, <clears throat> the, <clears throat> excuse me, when we ask for help, we learned that these are really opportunities for me to make another choice. And then we actually, after a while, we become grateful because again, we forgot that we are doing this. So how else would we know? And that's the key, how we are responding and we feel ourselves becoming angry, <clears throat> getting upset by something outside, whether it's on the news or just in a relationship, things just aren't going right. So everything is the opportunity for this conversion from the ego's way, from the anger and despair to the Holy Spirit's peace and joy. 
and words, any behaviors, they come from that decision. Behavior comes from our thoughts. So um, and then I'll just, any, any thoughts, any comments before I go on? I can't see everybody on the screen, so if you just have something to share, you could just speak up and unmute yourself. <coughs> no? I was, uh, I was looking at how um, the, the whole thing's flipped upside down. When, he, when in the second line in the intro, he says, this reversal of flipping things upside down is characteristic of the world. I mean, we take our attraction to sin, guilt, and fear, and then we flip them upside down, we, and we say, of course I'm not attracted to that crazy stuff. <laughs> I mean, in the mind, you know, giving is receiving. I give separation, I get separation. But in the world, it looks like if I give it to you, then, it, well, it's your fault, not mine. <laughs> so, I mean, the whole thing gets flipped upside down. Um, the other thing, uh, that line about, I, I, only, I only can teach... It, it, I don't know why this hit me this way, but the, in any given moment, the only thing I'm teaching to you and to me is is my identity. My identity. I mean, it, it looks like I'm driving down the road, but no. <laughs> in any given moment, all those things you were talking about, um, situations, I'm either teaching you and me, my identity is separation and ego, or I'm teaching you and me um, that we're not that were were something else but just that idea that in any given moment i'm teaching identity is was like wow <laughs> yeah i think he talks about that in the the next paragraph he's going to be talking about that yeah okay anybody else i did, i was just going to mention that that uh, one of the things that that i found really helpful when i first read uh the journey through the manual that ken pointed out right at the beginning is that that um there's really two themes in it. And if I can just remember those throughout it, and it's really throughout the whole course, but particularly in the manual is that um, the, the idea is that we need to develop trust in the Holy spirit and the idea of shared interest, which really ties into what Tim was just talking about is, you know, we, we, if we can, you know, realize that our identity is shared interests when, when we <laughs> choose that teacher, um, you know, then it changes everything, you know, then, and we're always teaching and learning 24-7. Yeah. One, one of those two teachers. Yeah, thanks. Thank um, you, Bruce. Great reminders. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, yeah, I forgot to mention, but it's obvious as we're reading this, that the manual for teachers is for everyone. It's not just for people who have the function of teaching the course. It's for all of us because we are all teachers. So if we just go on to the, um, the next paragraph, the curriculum you set up, is therefore determined exclusively by what you think you are and what you believe the relationship of others is to you. In the formal teaching situation, these questions may be totally unrelated to what you think you are teaching. Yet it is impossible not to use the content, in this case, he's really talking about the form, of any situation on behalf of what you really teach and therefore really learn. To this, the verbal content of your teaching is quite irrelevant. It may coincide with it or it may not. It is the teaching underlying what you say that teaches you. Its fundamental purpose is to diminish self-doubt. 
it's, we're always trying to get some kind of confirmation from proof from the world that we are what we believe we are. And so this does not mean that the self you're trying to protect is real, but it does mean that the self you think is real is what you teach. This is inevitable. There is no escape from it. How could it be otherwise? Everyone who follows the world's curriculum and everyone here does follow it until he changes his mind, teaches solely to convince himself that he is what he is not. <laughs> Just think about that. That is what we are doing. Herein is the purpose of the world. What else then would its curriculum be? Into this hopeless and closed learning situation, which teaches nothing but despair and death. God sends his teachers, and as they teach his lessons of joy and hope, their learning finally becomes complete. Except for God's teachers, there would be little hope of salvation, for the world of sin would seem forever real. The self-deceiving must deceive, for they must teach deception. And what else is hell? <laughs> That's what we are in until we choose otherwise. This is a manual for the teachers of God. They are not perfect or they would not be here. Yet it is their mission to become perfect here. And so they teach perfection over and over in many, many ways until they have learned it. And then they are seen no more although their thoughts remain a source of strength and truth forever. Who are they? How are they chosen? What do they do? How can they work out their own salvation and the salvation of the world? This manual attempts to answer these questions. And when he says things like um, the salvation of the world, you know, other places, he tells us very clearly there is no world but the world exists as an idea in our mind. And it's how we perceive that, how we see that and think of the world. As our minds are healed, the idea of the world is healed with that. So I briefly wanted to go through, um, just quickly through the next section where he gives a really good definition of what a teacher of God is. And I, I wanted to say first, though, in, in the Course, Jesus talks to us in different ways. He addresses us, as in the lesson the, this, um, that we, I spoke at the beginning. Sometimes he calls us teachers. Sometimes he calls us ministers, messengers. Here, I think he's going to call us bringers of salvation, miracle workers, disciples. That's the one I, I've always I thought of myself as a disciple. He tells us we have a special function. And if we're not careful, you know, the ego can take that and to make that into some type of spiritual specialness that he's calling us as opposed to anyone else who's not doing this course, that we've been chosen and we have this special mission to go out into the world and spread this course to everyone, this teaching, this is the path. And I have some insight that you don't have, and this is the way. And of course, that's not what he means at all. Everyone is called, <clears throat> and we are all equal in truth, but not necessarily in readiness or willingness. So he's calling us to join him in teaching his message by unlearning everything that we have taught ourselves. And it's not easy. I mean, but he says that everything is heavily reinforced. You know, the lessons are repeated over and over. 
until we finally understand. And so until um, choosing the Holy Spirit as the way that we perceive is as much a part of our thinking as the ego had been. So um, let's turn to page three there. Um, who are God's teachers? Would someone like to read, excuse me, that first paragraph? I'm having a little trouble this morning. Um, okay, thank you. Judy? Who are God's teachers? A teacher of God is anyone who chooses to be one. His qualifications consist solely in this. Somehow, somewhere, he has made a deliberate choice in which he did not see his interests as apart from someone else's. Once he has done that, his road is established and his direction is sure. A light has entered the darkness. It may be a single light, but that is enough. He has entered an agreement with God, even if he does not yet believe in him. He has become a bringer of salvation. He has become a teacher of God. Thank you, Judy. You have anything you'd like to share about that? Um, no, um, it's, it's kind of Self just wonderful. It's just <laughs> wonderful, and you know the the separate interests and stuff. Yeah, right. makes it crystal clear. Right. He does say someplace else in the workbook, and I I couldn't remember exactly where it is. That according for this particular curriculum, a teacher of God is someone who has completed the workbook lessons, and um, of course the shared interests that we all are one son of God. We all share the same split mind. We all have the same decision maker and the need to awaken. So that's the shared interest, how we can understand it. And I think it's, it's interesting. He says, we don't even have to believe in God. I mean, how much easier could he make it? <laughs> it's not required that we believe in God. And, um, and of course, it's the Holy Spirit that really does the work. All we have to say have to say is that I am willing please help me to see things differently and the Holy Spirit's the one that does it so that's that's always helpful to remember <laughs> so um, somebody like to read paragraph two I got it okay. they they come from all over the world they come from all religions and from no religion they are the ones who have answered the call is universal it goes on all the time, everywhere. It calls for teachers to speak for it and redeem the world. Many hear it, but few will answer. Yet it is all a matter of time. Everyone will answer in the end, but the end can be a very long, long way off. It is because of this that the plan of the teachers was established. Their function is to save time. Each one begins as a single light, but with a call at its center, it is a light that cannot be limited. And each one saves a thousand years of time as the world judges it. To the call itself, time has no meaning. Okay. I was thinking about, you know, like the mission of draining the swamp. I like that phrase. <laughs> Even though I don't like all the politics around it, I like the idea of draining the swamp. So, I mean, seek not to, you know, drain the swamp in the world. <laughs> seek to drain the swamp in my mind. <laughs> I mean, that's where all the trouble is. I'm hanging on to the swampy stuff, sin, guilt, and fear in my mind, and I need to drain that swamp. 
when he talks about shared interest too, I was thinking, um, it's not, uh, you know, it's not shared interest in the world. The sh shared interest in the world might reflect that, but it's shared interest in my mind. It's the shared interest of forgiveness in my mind. That's the Holy Spirit shared interest. The ego has a shared interest too, but it does. It pretends it doesn't. <laughs> ego shared interest is separation. At one point, he, he tells us in the text we made secret vows to each other to buy into the separation and to secretly blame each other for it. <laughs> That's a hell of a secret vow. But we, I mean, it's still a shared interest. <laughs> ego has a shared interest. Holy Spirit has a shared interest. But it's always at the level of the mind. And, um, it, it's helpful to once again remind myself he's talking not Tim as a body in the world trying to change the world, but but Tim as a mind trying to let go of all this crazy stuff in my own mind. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thank you. And the plan, of course, the ego had its plan, and uh, when we see it through the Holy Spirit, then it's just a correction for everything that the ego made. So now we can see that all differently. Um, Bruce, did you have something? I was just going to um, respond to what Tim was sharing about draining the swamp. I was thinking that the ego, the ego thought system is like an oceanic swamp. And then, you know, as we forgive, it seems like it gets a little lower and a little lower. And pretty soon we realize the whole thing is just a desert. And, and like Ken Wapnick says, what do you do when you discover you're in a desert? You leave. <laughs> so I think that's probably kind of the slow process of realizing there's nothing really in the ego's thought system that we want. And, uh, you know, but we, we're still convinced that there's something under that, that ocean there that might still be valuable, but, but it takes a lot of forgiveness practice to, you know, drain that ocean until we <laughs> reveal the, the desolation that's there and just say, oh, okay, well, I guess there's nothing there. No big deal. Time, time to go home. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, Bruce. And the thing about saving us time, of course, time doesn't really exist, but we are really saving our own pain and suffering. He asked us, how long do you want to continue to, to suffer? So we're just saving ourselves from that experience, you know, of that pain that is unnecessary. So I'll just quickly go over these uh, next paragraphs. There is a course for every teacher of God. Again, it's not just people who are studying this, this course. The form of the course varies greatly, and so do the particular teaching aids involved. But the content of the course never changes. Its central theme is always God's son is guiltless, and in his innocence is his salvation. It can be taught by actions or thoughts in words or soundlessly, in any language or in no language, in any place or time or manner. It does not matter who the teacher was before he heard the call. He has become a savior by his answering. He has seen someone else as himself. So that's the healing of the separation when we're able to see someone else as ourself. He has therefore found his own salvation and the salvation of the world. And his rebirth is the world reborn. This is a manual for a special curriculum intended for teachers of a special form of the universal course. There are many thousands of other forms, all with the same outcome. They merely save time. Yet it is time alone that winds on wearily and the world is very tired now. It is old and worn and without hope. 
there was never a question of outcome for what can change the will of God. But time with its illusions of change and death wears out the world and all things in it. Yet time has an ending, and it is this that the teachers of God are appointed to bring about. <clears throat> for time is in their hands. Such was their choice, and it is given them. So that pretty well shows us the Course's idea of what it means to be a teacher, teacher of God, a teacher of innocence. But I wanted to look at what that looks like, in, you know, in practice, in our lives. So, um, like I said before, the manual is giving us the, uh, the definitions. The lessons are providing the means to, to make that happen, to turn us into teachers of God. But the, and the theory and the text also in that theory, there's also instructions. I think of them as instructions from Jesus on how and how he even demonstrated that with his own life. And it's really only one of two things that we are ever teaching. And again, we keep saying it over and over, but it depends on which teacher we are following. We're either teaching innocence we are or we are teaching guilt. We are teaching the belief in the crucifixion or the resurrection, the separation, or that it never happened, the atonement. So it all boils down to what do we want to teach based on what do we want to learn. So I wanted to look at some passages on, on how we can apply this, beginning in uh, chapter 14, page 282 of the text. It's going to be um, starting paragraph two on page 282, chapter 14. <clears throat> and he says, everyone has a special part to play in the atonement, but the message given to each one is always the same. God's son is guiltless. Each one teaches the message differently and learns it differently. Yet until he teaches it and learns it, he will suffer the pain of, of dim awareness that his true function remains unfulfilled in him. <clears throat> the burden of guilt is heavy, but God would not have you bound by it. His plan for your awakening is as perfect as yours is fallible. You know not what you do. That reminds me of what Jesus said on the cross about the people who were, you know, persecuting him. They know not what they do. Forgive them, Father. You know not what you do, but he who knows is with you, the Holy Spirit. His gentleness is yours, and all the love you share with God, he holds in trust for you. He would teach you nothing except how to be happy. That is God's will for us. That's always been his will. That hasn't changed. He wants us to be happy. Uh, down to paragraph three, uh, down to see sentence five. Your only calling here is to devote yourself with active willingness to the denial of guilt in all its forms. To accuse is not to understand. The happy learners, happy learners of the atonement, become the teachers of the innocence that is the right of all that God created. Deny them not what is their due, for you will not withhold it from them alone. 
Again, what we give, we give to ourselves. If we go to the next page, page 283, paragraph six. This is where he calls us teachers of innocence. Teachers of innocence, each in his own way, have joined together, taking their part in the unified curriculum of the atonement. There is no unity of learning goals apart from this. There is no conflict in this curriculum, which has one aim, however it is taught. Each effort made on this behalf is offered for the single purpose of release from guilt to the eternal glory of God and his creation. And every teaching that points to this points straight to heaven and the peace of God. <clears throat> There is no pain, no trial, no fear that teaching this can fail to overcome. The power of God himself supports this teaching and guarantees its limit, limitless results. And then he says, join your own efforts to the power that cannot fail and must result in peace. No one can be untouched by teaching such as this. You will not see yourself beyond the power of God if you teach only this, only this. You will not be exempt from the effects of this most holy lesson, which seeks but to restore what is the right of God's creation. From everyone whom you accord release from guilt, you will inevitably learn your innocence. So that, again, is how we are teaching ourselves, giving and receiving. The circle of atonement has no end, and you will find ever-increasing confidence in your safe inclusion in the circle with everyone you bring within its safety and its perfect peace. Peace then be unto everyone who becomes a teacher of peace. I was thinking about the, uh, the play on, uh, almost Shakespearean play on saving time that he was talking about in the manual intro. Um, that, that, and, you know, I mean, he's appealing to our ego sense of, <laughs> we all want to save time. So we have more time to do the things we really want. So, I mean, and, and that's, you know, that's okay. <laughs> that's what he's, he's doing that. But at the same, same time, <laughs> at the same time, he is, uh, you know, the idea that why, why should we save the world when there is no world? Well, we, we save the world from our own condemnation of the world. We save time from the ego's use of time. Mm -hmm. So it's not like time good disappears, but suddenly I'm using time to see innocence instead of guilt. So I'm saving time from the purpose of the ego. I'm saving the world from the purpose of the ego. And I'm the one that laid that purpose on it. So that's how I get to save it. I can save the world that way from my own condemnation, I can save time that way from my own misuse of it to prove guilt and sin and fear and all that stuff. Hmm. I don't know if I ever thought of that before, but <laughs> that, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I think that's that, that conversion he's talking about from the, the different way of perceiving that. So, hmm. yeah. Thank you, Tim. That was really helpful. And then, and then I, I was kind of, you know, like uh, insulted when he when he called me a dimwit in uh, paragraph two, back on 282, line three, that, that his true function remains, uh, uh, oh, the pain of dim awareness. 
I mean, he's, he's, he's calling me a dimwit, for God's sake. <laughs> and I'm suffering because of it, the pain of dim awareness. <laughs> he says it with a smile, though. <laughs> okay. I'm sure that today there would be a little smiling emoji after it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be interesting if somebody went through and put little emojis for that, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, if we go now to the next page, 284, at the top of the page, paragraph nine. Let's see. He says, blessed are you who teach with me. Our power comes not of us, but of our Father. In guiltlessness and in innocence, we know him as he knows us guiltless. I, I, Jesus, stands within the circle, calling you to peace. Teach peace with me and stand with me on holy ground. Remember for everyone your father's power that he has given him. Believe not that you cannot teach his perfect peace. Stand not outside, but join with me within. Fail not the only purpose to which my teaching calls you. Restore to God his son as he created him by teaching him his innocence. So that is the only purpose that his teaching is calling us. And then the next paragraph, the crucifixion had no part in the atonement, only the resurrection became my part in it. That is the symbol of the release from guilt by guiltlessness. Whom you perceive as guilty, you would crucify. Yet you restore guiltlessness to whomever you perceive that you see as guiltless. Crucifixion is always the ego's aim. It sees everyone as guilty, and by its condemnation, it would kill. The Holy Spirit sees only guiltlessness, and in his gentleness, he would release from fear and reestablish the reign of love. The power of love is in his gentleness, which is of God, and therefore cannot crucify nor suffer crucifixion. The temple you restore becomes your altar, for it was rebuilt through you, and everything you give to God is yours. Thus he creates, and thus must you restore. So I'm going to turn now to page, let's see, 275, <clears throat> still in chapter 14, Roman numeral 3. The sections, the decision for guiltlessness. <clears throat> and in this section, he's talking about <clears throat> how we're always choosing between the crucifixion and the resurrection. Let's see, really the only alternatives. And that the power of decision, our decision maker, that's, that is all that we have is that power of decision. So then he says, okay, over, uh, let's see, paragraph six. Could you give me a page, Tony? Thank I'm sorry. You. Um, yes, once again, it's page 275 in chapter 14, Roman numeral three. And then um, down to paragraph six on page 275, and I'm starting at actually at sentence six. So he says, the joy of learning that darkness has no power over the Son of God 
is the happy lesson. There we go again, happy. He wants us to be happy. Is the happy lesson the Holy Spirit teaches and would have you teach with them. It is his joy to teach it as it will be yours. And continue on to paragraph seven. The way to teach the simple lesson is merely this. Guiltlessness, innocence, is invulnerability. Therefore, make your invulnerability manifest to everyone. Teach him that whatever he may try to do to you, your perfect freedom from the belief that you can be harmed shows him that he is guiltless. He can do nothing that can hurt you. He can't hurt the true self, the true son of God. And by refusing to allow him to think he can, you teach him that the atonement which you have accepted for yourself is also his. There is nothing to forgive. No one can hurt the Son of God. His guilt is wholly without cause, and being without cause cannot exist. And there is so much in that paragraph the whole cause and effect and how we are always teaching what we believe we are. So obviously, if we think someone has heard us and we, we are showing them, you know, we're attacking and accusing them, you're the reason I'm upset. What are we saying? We're saying that the self that I believe I am can be upset. So we're totally identified as this ego personality that is separate from all other others. I have my own agenda. I have my own needs and you're not needing them. <laughs> but he's trying, to, he's trying to show us that we are the son of God. That's what he wants us to, to begin thinking as that we are the son of God. We, we are innocent and so is my brother. So I have to, as, if I don't perceive myself as being attacked, what am I teaching him? I'm teaching him that he's innocent, that he hasn't done anything. That's the cause and effect. So if you have no reaction, what happens in a tug of war if one, one side stops fighting? Where does it go? And, and so on an unconscious level, maybe they won't understand it, but you're showing them that they haven't hurt you. They haven't done anything. So a, there's no reason for them to be guilty. And this is how we you know, start to undo that in the mind. And it's amazing when, if you've ever done that, it just, has anybody had an experience of that where they have actually been able not to become defensive and really see, you know, to see their brother as themselves and what before might have been uh, an opportunity where they, you know, would, they would have felt that anger rising up and wanting to defend themselves. And then they, they didn't and how the situation kind of just <laughs> dissipated. Would anybody have an experience they'd like to share? No. It's amazing when, when it happens. It's really, it truly is a miracle. And um, I'll just share one from my past just briefly. I happened to be um, co-teaching co a, um, a, a book study group. And it was Course of Miracles, um, based on Course of Miracles. And I knew that I had done something that kind of maybe I overstepped my bounds a little bit with my partner who was teaching the class. I might have, I don't know, I just had that feeling after the class that maybe she was a little bit upset with me. And she didn't say anything, but I kind of felt that way. And I almost said, you know, I apologize if I overstepped my bounds, but I didn't. 
So the next day she called me and she made it pretty clear she was not happy with me. And, um, and I, I, I didn't get defensive and I, I accepted, I mean, I did feel maybe I felt a little, I don't know what the word is. I did feel a little something. I'm not saying I didn't feel anything, but I didn't get defensive at all. You know, I didn't try to tell her, well, you know, um, you asked me to be the, the, the co-host with you on this. I just, I just said, you're right. I, I'm sorry. I apologize. You're absolutely right. And I accepted it. And then about a week later, she called me and she was just, <laughs> she was really, had been beating herself up, you know, she was saying, I'm, I'm so sorry, I had no right to say that. And, and I said, what a perfect opportunity. We were, t we were, t we were uh, you know, leading this class on forgiveness and we were given an opportunity to put it into practice. I said, that's what it's all about, you know? And, it, and we, we were such good friends after that. It just totally diffused the whole situation. So I know it works. I know it's not easy. And I mean, our ego rises up that the ego speaks first. But when we do it, I mean, miracles do happen. And the person doesn't even have to be there. You know, it can happen on, we ne might never address the person. But we do this all, it's all in our happening in our mind. There's only one of us. So um, that's how we help one another. So, um, guiltlessness is invulnerability. Carol, um, Carol Weinstein had a, had a miracle happen yesterday, but uh, oh, Carol, no. can you hear me? Do you want to share your story or, or you don't feel that good this morning? <laughs> can you hear me, Carol? <laughs> no, she's probably playing with the dog. <laughs> I was curious though, you know, like, I mean, in that previous section you read, um, uh, it said to condemn is to kill, mm -hmm. to judge is to kill. And certainly when I'm judging somebody, I don't, I don't consciously think I want to kill them. But I was wondering how you, how you felt about that. Like, how do you, how do you see that connection between judgment and killing? Well, we are really just trying to destroy who the person really is, you know, but not, we're saying they're not the son of God. I've destroyed that. I've destroyed their innocence and I've made them guilty. That's how I understand that. Of course, he's not talking literally about killing anybody, but um, what is love, not love is murder. He makes that clear, you know, in, in the in the text that even a, a slight frown, or, you know, a sigh, you know, it's murder. So, um, yeah, that's that's the uh, the harsh teaching I would say, but he makes his point, and that's what we're really doing. We're saying that I, you know, I've succeeded in destroying the the Son of God. That um, I, 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 that's what we believe we have done on some level. We think we've killed God, and we think we've destroyed the wholeness of of heaven. We destroyed oneness. We destroyed the perfect creation. That's that's the belief. So. When we're judging anybody, you know, what, what are we saying? We're just, that is just the expression of that. At least that, that's how I understand it. Does anybody else want to share their thoughts on that? Bruce, Steve, anybody? Lynn Altman, anybody? <laughs> I think it's funny because he's using like dual metaphors for crucifixion. Right. He's saying that, you know, your ego death is your crucifixion, right? And then you resurrect yourself. But he's also saying that you crucify the other person or kill them with your judgment. I just found that very interesting. Right, right. 
Thank you. I, I, I did have a thought about condemnation. I was thinking about, you know, if you see a building that's condemned, what that typically means is, is you know, no one can go in or out of it. It's, it's boarded up. There might be a yellow tape around it or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and that you know, there's no light coming out of it because <laughs> utilities have been cut off. Uh, so I was thinking, well, what metaphorically would that be, you know, to a part of our mind would be an, an aspect of creation that we've condemned would be, uh, you know, someone or, or some, you know, part of our awareness that we, we think somehow is not all of spirit and has, hasn't, you know, uh, qualified for forgiveness and for innocence. Um, and so we've, we condemn that, but it kind of has the same effect. It kind of goes dark. It becomes a place that no one can inhabit. And, and it's certainly no fun place. <laughs> so it seems like that's why, you know, the forgiveness classroom is, is looking at how we condemn, you know, all the different aspects of uh, the sonship and, and recognize that on, on the level of form, that makes perfect sense to condemn buildings. But, but in the mind, it's like, if I, if I condemn any part of creation, I'm, I'm doing that to myself because it's, there's no separation. Yeah. Anyway, thanks. I was thinking on a good ego day, there's some people I would like to put yellow tape around, <laughs> <laughs> especially around their mouth. <laughs> um, on the next paragraph on page 276. Tony, I, Tony I just wanted to add oh. my, um, my piece to the thing. When he says there is nothing to forgive, what I do is I say, yeah, nothing, no thing. Um, so what nothing means is that there's no object, no person. Um, there's just um, perfection, um, oneness, you know? I just find that a simple way that I get right to um, the heart of it. So for what that's worth. Thank you, Judy. Thank you. It's a good way of looking at it. Page, uh, paragraph eight on page 276, he tells us that God is the only cause and guilt is not of him. Teach no one he has hurt you. For if you do, you teach yourself that what is not of God has power over you. The causeless cannot be. Do not attest to it and do not foster belief in it in any mind. Remember always that mind is one and cause is one. You will learn communication with this oneness only when you learn to deny the causeless and accept the cause of God as yours. So um, teach no one he has hurt you. There was another, um, just a few sentences, you don't have to turn there necessarily, on page 563 of the text, 563, where he's making the same point. And it's on uh, paragraph three on that page. And he teaches uh, down sentence two, you cannot be unfairly treated. The belief you are is but another form of the idea you are deprived by someone, not yourself. We're blaming the other person again for how we are feeling. We're doing it to ourselves. Projection of the cause of sacrifice 
is at the root of everything perceived to be unfair and not your just desserts. Yet it is you who ask this of yourself in deep injustice to the Son of God. You have no enemy except yourself, and you are enemy indeed to him because you do not know him as yourself. Down paragraph four, beware of the temptation. I love this sentence. <laughs> beware, <laughs> beware of the temptation to perceive yourself unfairly treated. In this view, you seek to find an innocence. He's talking about uh, theirs, the son of God, and but yours alone at the cost of someone else's guilt. So he's asking us that to pay attention to that. When that's a, that should be like a red flag whenever we are perceiving ourselves is unfairly treated. And it can be anything. It could be as simple as somebody cutting you off in traffic, you know, <laughs> somebody not listening to you or not calling you back. I mean, it could be something really petty, you know, but if we feel that coming up and that's our own projection. And then down in paragraph five, he says, you think your brother is unfair to you because you think one must be unfair to make the other innocent. And in this game, you perceive one purpose for your whole relationship. And this you seek to add unto the purpose given it. The Holy Spirit's purpose is to let the presence of your holy guest be known to you. So, and to this purpose, nothing can be added. For the world is purposeless except for this. So again, that's the whole thing that we're teaching. It's one or the other. Somebody else has to be wrong. For me to be right, you know, I, they have to be guilty so I can be innocent. That's, that's the game that we play. And all it does is give us pain, you know. So um, now I, what I would like to do is just look briefly at um, some of the examples from Jesus's own life. You know, Jesus is our, he says he's the same as us, that he just he is more advanced, obviously, but he, we are all equal as learners. He is our brother, our way shower. So how, how did he do this in his own life? And, and like I said, he, he makes it clear that we're the same as him, as him. In fact, on page 56, you don't have to turn there, but this is where he says, I can be entrusted with your body and your ego only because this enables you not to be concerned with them and let me teach you their unimportance. And then he says, I could not understand their importance to you if I had not once been tempted to believe in them myself. So he's trying to tell us, you know, that we're, uh, he's no different than us. And he overcame so we can do it too. And, and we're not doing it alone. That's the main thing, you know, he's always there helping us. And he's also t teaching us that we're not asked to go through his experiences. Each of us in our own lives, we are crucifying ourselves every day in our, uh, our need to, you know, have someone else um, make us or, or, or to attack us in some way, any problems that come up that we believe that we're other than the Son of God. Um, that is what we are really doing. We're crucifying ourselves. And so whatever our situation is in life, it's the perfect classroom. We all are healing the, the sonship through our, our individual um, relationships, our situations, whatever they may be. And we can, like he says, you can crucify yourself as, you know, as long as you want to, but that's not the Father's will for us. He only wants our happiness. 
So on page 92, chapter six, he's talking about the crucifixion B and, and Tim's gonna be talking more in depth about the crucifixion tomorrow night and death. But um, I just wanted to talk about how Jesus responded and how he's asking us to respond to, to the situations in our lives. And he tells us that the, that the crucifixion was nothing more than an extreme example. And then down in paragraph three, you have probably reacted for years as if you were being crucified, which is a marked tendency of the separated. And then he says in sentence four, the real meaning of the crucifixion lies in the apparent intensity of the assault of some of the sons of God upon another. This is, of course, impossible and must be fully understood as impossible. Otherwise, I cannot serve as a model for learning. And then he tells us assault can be ultimately be made only on the body. And there's little doubt that that can happen. But then he says down in sentence six, the message of the crucifixion was intended to teach was that it is not necessary to perceive any form of assault and persecution because you, the true you, the son of God, cannot be persecuted. If you respond with anger, you must be equating yourself with the destructible. Again, we're teaching our identity that we believe, you know, we believe that we are destructible. That's what we'll be teaching if we respond with anger and are therefore regarding ourselves insanely. So, uh, any, any thoughts on that? We're not condemnable. <laughs> <laughs> Lynn Altman? You're on mute. Uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, these are just wonderful readings and I'm sitting here thinking how crazy it is that I am hanging on to being the one who's being unfairly treated. It's like there's all this wonderful explanation of why I'm doing it and why it would be helpful to let that go. And I'm, I'm so steeped in, you know, holding on. It's, it's like it is, and I suppose what's really happening is becoming increasingly aware of how foundational that is to my identity. And, um, you know, taking some uh, comfort, I guess, in just being able to sit with that and look at how deeply invested I am. Um, and, and also, maybe it's anticipating a little bit or, and having had the experience certainly on occasion that, that when I do let go of that, I don't die. I feel alive and I feel connected um, within and without. But I come, it's like, man, I go right back to that place. I am being unfairly treated and look at all <laughs> that stuff out there that's proving it. So thank you. I really thank appreciate you. everything you're giving today. Thank you. But the thing is, you are doing the work. You recognize it. How many people don't even know that there is another way, you know, so that's that when we when we're aware of that, then we can only be grateful because otherwise we will just keep repeating it. That, so, uh, that line, beware of the temptation <laughs> to perceive myself unfairly treated. Well, first, the, the word beware, like be aware of it. <laughs> be aware that you're tempted. And then, and then the irony is, I mean, you know, once again, in the world, we think the devil made me do it. 
the devil tempted Jesus to jump off the mountain and whatever. The devil's tempting me with this and that, and people tempt me with this and that. But, but this, the insanity of me tempting myself with something stupid. <laughs> like, like, I'm going to tempt myself with being unfairly treated to do what exactly? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, really? Do I really want to tempt myself with something that goes nowhere? <laughs> I mean, when Jesus said, I was tempted too, is like, you know, I tempted myself to go there. It's not like anybody tempted me to go there. I mean, the insanity of tempting ourselves to do something is like, what? What? <laughs> Why would I? First of all, can I tempt myself to do something? <laughs> like, it's not really me. It's something else tempting me to do it. <laughs> that goes back to your attraction for sin, guilt, and fear, though. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that. <laughs> but it's not my fault. <laughs> yeah. At the bottom of page 93, paragraph 8, down to about sentence um, 6, he's talking, he's referring to us as his disciples. I think he only does that a couple of times in the course. He says, I must found his church on you because those who accept me as a model are literally my disciples. Disciples are followers. And if the model they follow has chosen to save them pain in all respects, they are wise not to follow him. And then he tells us that he elected for our sake and his to demonstrate that the most outrageous thought, as judged by the ego, does not matter. As the world judges these things, and he goes on to say how he was um, beaten and torn. But then he says on paragraph 10 on the next page, we are still equal as learners, although we do not need to have equal experiences. The Holy Spirit is glad when you can learn from mine and be reawakened by them. That is their only purpose and the only way in which I can be perceived as the way, the truth, and the life. When you hear only one voice, you are never called on to sacrifice. On the contrary, by being able to hear the Holy Spirit in others, you can learn from their experiences and can gain from them without experiencing them directly yourself. I think that is so helpful to know that. We don't have to keep reinventing the wheel how <laughs> it's been done. We can learn from what other people do and from their experiences, because we are all one and we all have shared interests. And then he says, I'm sorry. Can I ask a question, Tim? On page 93 in paragraph 7 and 8, he uses um, the word me. And, and I noticed this, maybe it was chapter 14 or 15 also, when he uses the word me, who is he referring to? Well, I think he's referring to himself as Jesus, but now Jesus, of course, is the, he knows who he is as the Christ, but he is talking about you know, he's talking obviously about his life and what he went through while he was here. So um, let me see where I'm trying to see the example that you were. Um, paragraph seven. Oh, help me to teach it. Is that what you're talking about? Um, line five. Um, yes. And, and um, right. Paragraph seven, line five. And then also paragraph eight. Line two, 
Um, and then I've seen a, a couple other places in the curriculum and I've never understood who the me is that he's referring to. Well, there's really no, um, like, again, he's talking about himself, you okay. know, Jesus, but, but, but Jesus now that the one who was the teacher of the course, he identified as the, he knew this, that he was the son of God. So that's why he's our teacher, because he awakened to that. He awakened to, to the fact that he was the Christ. So that's what he's saying. And he's asking us to become, uh, he became the, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And it says that's what we are going to be as well. So that's what, as we join him in this teaching, that is, that is our destiny to all become the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Okay, okay. anything? Okay. Got it. Thank you, Tony. Okay. And um, so I'll just go a little bit more through this section. Um, paragraph 11. You are not persecuted, nor was I. He didn't perceive himself as being persecuted. And then you are not asked to repeat my experiences. Because the Holy Spirit whom we share makes this unnecessary. To use my experiences constructively, however, you must still follow my examples and how to perceive them. My one lesson down sentence five, which I must teach as I learned it, is that no perception that is out of accord with the judgment of the Holy Spirit can be justified. I undertook to show this was true in an extreme case, merely because it was served as a good teaching aid to those whose temptation to give in to anger and assault would not be so extreme. So again, we don't have to worry that we're, there are people I've heard them say they, they're afraid to um, really go and be on a spiritual path because they think some sacrifice is going to be asked of them. And all he's asking us to do is to give up our beliefs in sacrifice and pain. But he says the crucifixion cannot be shared because it is a symbol of projection. But the resurrection is a symbol of sharing because the reawakening of every son of God is necessary to enable the sonship to know its wholeness. Only this is knowledge. The message of the crucifixion is perfectly clear. Teach only love, for that is what you are. I think of this almost as a commandment, you know. Um, Judy? Mm -hmm. um, I'm sorry, Judy, you're muted. Sorry, just to refer back a minute to the previous question because um, I, I've remembered um, something that I've been, um, you know, um, wondering about. Uh, I think I know the answer, but I'm not sure. Um, so when Jesus is talking to us in the course and talking to us in this passage, it seems to be in some ways a correction to the Jesus of the New Testament, but um, is the Jesus of the Course the same Jesus, the the same the same as the historical Jesus? Has has anybody like? Is Ken, I'm sure Ken's spoken on that, but I forget. Tim, would you like to answer that question? I think you might. <laughs> yeah, it's a. I mean, we we have posts like one of the a post on the 10 common mistakes that course students make. One of them is yeah. who, who the hell is Jesus? <laughs> who the hell is that me he's talking about? And then, 
a lot of ways to look at this, um, and I think we all, it becomes a personal experience how we're going to deal with okay. this me called Jesus. Okay. Um, so there's, there's Jesus of the course. There's that me. But then there's another million other Jesuses running around. Everybody, you know, I, I don't even know how many people are channeling Jesus these days. But a lot. they're not, they're, I mean, depending on the content of the message, they're probably not the same as the Jesus of the course. Most, most Jesus messages that are being channeled are all about behavior and what you should do, what you shouldn't do. And it doesn't take you back to the mind. There's no mention of guilt, et cetera, et cetera. So even in terms of content, Jesus of the course is a whole lot different than, and, and there's not just one Jesus in the gospel. There's four different, depending on the writer, there's four different Jesuses <laughs> in there. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each of them have their own version of Jesus. So I mean, you're talking about a lot of <laughs> schizophrenic, crazy Jesus is running around. And it's like, choose your Jesus. I mean, choose, choose the Jesus of the course, but don't mix them up too much with all those other Jesuses because the message is different. You'll know them by their fruits. You'll know them by their message. Now, when it comes to him quoting what he did in the Bible, first of all, all stories are made up. So we, we tend to want to take these stories seriously. Our stories made up. Mm -hmm. The stories about Jesus are made up. It just depends on, am I, is my ego using the, the story, my story, or, or is the Holy Spirit using my story? Is the ego using the stories in the Bible, or is the Holy Spirit using the stories in the Bible? So when he's referring to when he died on the cross, I mean, Ken's gone as far as to say as, you know, I know. You don't have to believe that he was crucified. Yeah. He said, I wasn't persecuted. I wasn't crucified. It's just a made up story, like all stories are made up. I mean, so uh, it's just a story. So like, am I, am I hearing that story with my ego, which means there's victimizers for sure, or am I hearing that story with the Holy Spirit, meaning Jesus and, and myself, we can't be crucified. You know, I mean, it's just a story. It's a made-up story of crucifixion. So, you know, Helen was pre-Vatican, too. <laughs> she was definitely believing all these stories in the gospel were true about Jesus. So when he's writing about his crucifixion to her, he's writing to her because she believed in that story. You know, and, and, you know, Ken said, if you don't, you know, if you don't want to believe in that story, that's fine. But it's just a story for God's sake. All of our stories are just stories. There's 20 stories on the screen here. They're all made up. <laughs> Your story's made up. My story's made up. Jesus' story is made up. They're all made up. They're not who we truly are. So once again, it's like, it's not so much is the, the, was Jesus actually crucified isn't the issue. It's, it's like, am I hearing that story with with the ego as my teacher or with the Holy Spirit as my teacher. And if that doesn't make any sense, don't worry about it. Just keep coming back. <laughs> so, so, sorry. It, it was a distracting, a distracting question. I'm sorry yeah. for asking it. No, not really. I think that's one that comes up. And again, I guess you just have to take that with then ask Jesus. <laughs> you, you, know, you, you know what? I, I think that's a very good. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think I was, I was asking the question because the story of Jesus, if you want to put it that way, um, it's very prevalent still in our culture. 
And I think we've been conditioned by it. So that's what, to me, that's what we have to deal with. It, saying the same thing as everybody else. Thanks. Thank you, Judy. Thank you so much for sharing that. Okay, I just wanted one other, one other little thing on page 96 at the top of the page. Jean, did you have something, Jean? No, I'm sorry. I just, I just, when we're talking about stories, I just wanted to go back to page 93, paragraph 7, where Jesus says, my brothers slept during the so-called yeah. in the garden. <laughs> but I could not be angry with them because I knew I could not be abandoned. That is so, I mean, we, we, we just glance over that so-called. There we go. Right. <laughs> Right. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. I have a question, though, uh, mm -hmm. as far as the teacher and the teachings. It was a voice to Helen. She called it the voice. Mm -hmm. Perhaps it was the voice for God, the Holy Spirit. But if there was a self-identification in the text transmitted in the curriculum, and then eventually the voice said, Hi, I'm Jocko. How much credence would A Course in Miracles have if Jocko <laughs> talked about himself and Jocko had not been crucified in another time right. and didn't teach the same, te it's the same teachings and the same teacher, even though it's been bent up, broken, twisted, and watered down in theology through the centuries, it's the same teacher and the same teachings teaching just a few lessons over and over and over and over and i look at the gospels as uh, four witnesses to the same crime and everybody's like if a car crashes into a truck and there's four guys on each corner four guys are going to see four different things so but when you put it all together then it makes the entire picture now, matthew mark luke and john are saying the same thing about the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Christ. And we're experiencing that every day, aren't we? The right. crucifixion right. and the resurrection of ourselves every day. Right. day. So, thank you. Thank you, Derek. That's so true. And, and um, I guess I've heard Kim Wapnick say that, you know, it's really Helen's higher self. We all share the same higher self and it, it comes through the form that we can understand and and she had this you know this relationship with jesus so for her that's how it came through but you know if it's i call my higher self jocko jocko okay <laughs> okay <laughs> okay well one of the uh one of the kind of fun stories about jesus i mean helen calling helen helen calling jesus the voice and not calling him jesus it was you can imagine how honry helen must have been as we all are <laughs> in our relationship with jesus so this was her passive aggressive way of not acknowledging it was him <laughs> i mean i mean she was she, she was like really insistent she called him the voice because she didn't want to call him jesus and she felt like somehow that was like uh, you know like <laughs> i don't know what she thought but yeah <laughs> i mean she knew it was jesus <laughs> Just couldn't admit it to herself. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, that's really all that um, from the text that I wanted to cover, basically. And I just, I guess the whole summary is that, you know, we've all chosen to be followers of Jesus' message or we wouldn't be here. 
whether we think of it as Jesus or our higher self, but it's the teaching that we're innocent, that we're not the, um, you know, we're not persecuted. We're not this vulnerable being that we think we are that's subject to the whims of everything that's happening outside of us. We have answered the call and we trust that the Holy Spirit and that Jesus are the same is our guide and will teach us all, or show us all that we need to do, which is really all how we think will help us to change our minds about who we think we are, who we think our brothers are, and that we will be a teacher. We will demonstrate these teachings are true, really to be the message, to walk the talk. So I wanted to close with um, a, a reading from, uh, let me see, paragraph Let's see, chapter seven, page 136, paragraph four. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I'll just read that paragraph and then I'll close with the, my favorite line from the course, which is in chapter 11, uh, paragraph seven on page 209, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. So the first one again is from chapter seven on page 136, paragraph four. I call upon you to remember that I have chosen you to teach the kingdom to the kingdom. There are no exceptions to this lesson because a lack of exceptions is the lesson. Every son who returns to the kingdom with this lesson in his heart has healed the sonship and given thanks to God. Everyone who learns this lesson has become the perfect teacher because he has learned it of the Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to read this quote from the Course, and then we can take that into the silence for a moment. Teach not that I died in vain. Teach rather that I did not die by demonstrating that I live in you. Just take that into the silence for a moment. And gently come back. Jesus just reminded me that one of the honorary things that Helen would do if she was really being honorary, she wouldn't even call it the voice. She just called it it. It told oh. me. <laughs> it said. You know what it said now? <laughs> Good. Uh, and he I, didn't I, hold that against her. <laughs> I was just going to add, there, there was a, 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 a quote about, uh, you know, abandonment. I, I was reminded of, um, if anybody has happened to have read uh, Life and Teachings of the Masters of the Far East by mm -hmm. Barrett Spaulding, yeah. I, I remember reading those almost 50 years ago now, and, and, and as a teenager, I remember being really struck with a, a place where Jesus and Buddha appeared to this party, and he said, well, I you know, I basically say, I need to correct, you know, even then, there's some of the misconceptions, and, and, the, the, the one he's correct, he says, I, I have never been forsaken or abandoned and, and, you know, that God would never forsake me. And, and, 
you know, because there's you know that quote that he yeah. says supposedly on the cross, "Thou hast forsaken me," you know, kind of thing. But but I thought that really made an impact on me, and and it stuck with mm-hmm. me. It's like you know, there, how could perfect oneness forsake us? And and that and he basically was saying, okay, I'm I'm correcting it here, and then he, he came again in the form of the course through Helen, and, and you know, further reiterated and and expounded expanded on that. So yeah, thanks. Thanks, Thank Bruce. Very moving. Thank you. Yeah. That was great, Tony. Thanks for Thank you all. Us Thank you all Thank for you. sharing. Thank you. It was great, Tony. I really enjoyed it. Thank, Thank you so you, much. Tony. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Really clear. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.